Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. It's good to be back on the air. Um, I think the last time I was on the air with you all was a few days back, and we were still in the month of November. So here we are, third day of December, and it's uh, great to be on the air. And I'm glad to um, be able to share with you more information on John Oller's novel, The Swamp Fox, How Francis Marion Saved the American Revolution. Well, we're going to be discussing in this episode of The Swamp Fox, uh, Francis Marion's time, let alone his experiences from the French and Indian War to... um, to what he learns from that period of fighting, in other words, the period from 1759 to 1761, but we are, we're also going to learn um, how he, um, what he takes from his experiences during that time span and how they will lead into a different kind of conflict, one that... Um, one that has him going against uh, the country that he um, fought alongside with during the French and Indian War. So that's what, what our focus is going to be on tonight. So everyone buckle your seatbelts and let's get ready for the ride. So our first leadoff bonus question will be the following. At what time, or let alone point, during the French and Indian War would Francis Marion become exposed to British Army practices? The answer is about late 1759, or let alone October of 1759. It was a time marked by tense hostilities between Cherokee Indians under, or should I say, led by their great warrior, Oconestota, versus the British under royal governor, William Littleton, or as some might say, Lyttelton, but Littleton to me would be the better pronunciation. Who is Oconestota? Well, as I said a moment ago, he is the um, great warrior of the uh, Cherokee Nation. Oconestota is looking for a way to um, make peace with the British um, with British forces. You know, this is a very, very troubling period of time, not just the war itself, but along the South Carolina frontier. And what I mean by the frontier in this case is that we're talking more about present-day northwest South Carolina, especially in the areas where we think of as uh, Greenville, Union, Spartanburg, um, Rock Hill, uh, Greer, uh, Easley. Those areas of, of uh, South Carolina that we think of today is uh, in the far western part of the state or what we call the northwestern uh, part of South Carolina, which uh, borders uh, North Carolina, or what we know as uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, I should say. So basically, Oconestota is coming to Charleston seeking the peace. He is seeking peace because he knows that there has been conflict, not only between him and the English, but conflict over um, what we might think of in today's time as uh, petty matters, but in 1759, it's a pretty big deal. A lot of it has to do with being compensated for a lack of uh, horses, and in the British case, the Indians uh, stealing horses, and not just stealing horses, but 
both sides conducting raids upon one another to where it has resulted in, um, in a great uh, amount of uh, lives being lost. And we're not just talking about on the battlefield, folks. We're talking about raids where Indians have, for example, Cherokees have uh, come in and uh, burnt down um, people's homes along the frontier and have even uh, killed family members. And in return, the British have gone to Cherokee settlements and have uh, destroyed their property. And we're not just talking vandalizing. We're talking about eliminating their property, setting it on fire to... Um, to killing Indians, and not just killing them, but taking some of them as prisoners uh, to meet, um, what do you call it, like a, uh, not just a prisoner exchange, but a, a ransom exchange. So basically, Frontiers people and Indians, or the Cherokees, they're living a very hostile way of life now. It's almost like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. We're going to find out over time if this is going to be too much for Francis Marion himself to take. So, Aconistota, as I said earlier, comes to Charleston seeking peace by laying deer skins in front of Governor Littleton. You would think Governor Littleton would have some decency to want to make uh, peace on his end, but no. He's more uh, focused on military principles which included taking the Cherokee delegation that arrived seeking peace hostage on an expedition west. Francis Marion would be among the 1,300 colonial force for this expedition in which he served as a captain under his brother Gabriel's command. This 1,300 colonial um, group was basically a military unit of the British royal government. So now we're going to find out here what kind of involvement Marion had and whether or not he may have even had a direct role in any kind of um, killing of um, Indians. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Well, if you don't feel comfortable being a part of something, then how is it safe? Then how can one say, well, what's what's the matter? Are you not man enough to join the group? Are you going to remain a chicken? I mean, in other words, it's one thing to um, you know, stand up for your beliefs, but if it means not showing signs of um, courage and willingness to take a step forward to um, serve not just um, your community, but perhaps serving the best interests of your family, then this is what separates you know, the boys from the men. So Marion is a part of this expedition, but I don't believe that he is interested in seeking revenge. But nonetheless, if he's going to make a name for himself as time goes along, especially knowing that Marion, in the eyes of many historians, is the one who saves the American Revolution, he's got to... Um, that, that honor just doesn't happen overnight. Of course, we don't want to get too far ahead into the game here, but in order to really be someone that you can be looked upon with status, you've got to um, do other things, even if it means doing something that's unpleasant in the eyes of others. So in late 1759, the Royal South Carolina Royal Governor um, 
William Littleton forces a comprised forces comprised of British regulars, or let alone the South Carolina provincial troops and militia, or, or let alone I should say these forces. Pardon me. I'll get the terminology straight here, but the forces that Governor William William Littleton um, bands together consist of British regulars, South Carolina provincial troops, and militia. But that's not all. There are slaves along with Native American forces who are hostile. In other words, they are opposed to the Cherokees' dominance. This is where a danger can be where Indians are now attacking one another. And before European settlement came along, I should point out that it used to be that when Indians would go to war with one another, they would often do it in a in a nonviolent manner. They would often go to war where it was all about which tribe would dominate those below them, and those below them would still maintain cordial ties to where the group as a, t as a whole would still work together for the benefit of the greater good. In other words, when Indians went to war, they weren't concerned about eliminating one another on a mass scale like when the Europeans arrived in the New World. It, it, there's a, a unique book I read uh, last year called A Colonial Complex, uh, which has to do with the um, history of uh, South Carolina's early history as a uh, colony and how South Carolina as a colony in the New World was almost wiped out by, um, by a never-ending cycle of warfare in which the English had engaged um, the Indians, not just so much in the colony, but the territory that went past South Carolina, especially in the southeastern uh, woodlands region, where Indian civilizations pretty much wiped each other out to where no Indian uh, tribes uh, stood present to um, keep the land in their possession. Ultimately, the land tracts would go into the hands of the English. So basically, it's one thing for, the, for Indian tribes to want to side with the English or the French, given we're in the French and Indian War at this point. The problem now is that the Europeans, most notably the English, have pretty much uh, given ultimatum on Indian tribes wherever they go. Okay, this is who you're going to side with. If you don't side with us, expect, um, expect bad things to come. So in other words, the English are reducing every ounce of alliance opportunity that Indians once were accustomed to having without outside interference. So basically, whatever Indian existence that currently exists in South Carolina is hanging by a thread. So, the objective that for which Governor William Littleton is um, aiming to achieve takes place at a at a location in far northwestern uh, South Carolina known as Fort Prince George. Governor Littleton will demand the surrender of 24 Indians whom he wanted put to death 
for compensation for the same number of whites killed by the Indians. So in other words, okay, the Indians might have um, killed, say, 24 uh, white people. As a result of that, Governor Littleton wants 24 Indians in return killed. He's not interested in any kind of uh, reconciliation. He just wants to see punishment done, but he's not interested in bringing both parties together. The sad part about all this here, folks, is that while, yes, European exploration into the New World did have its uh, successes, it is also sad to say that it had a lot of bad outcomes. And most people are convinced when the English, for example, came to the New World, that warfare is what decimated Indian civilizations. That is an absolute um, wrong answer. While, yes, warfare did have a part in decimation of Indian civilizations, it was disease. Most Indian civilizations didn't even know about smallpox. They didn't even know that... Um, Malaria existed, yellow fever. So when many um, English, um, especially like when the English came to Jamestown, Virginia in 1607, what the Indians didn't realize is that these men were bringing, um, they weren't just coming to uh, conquer um, or establish a new settlement. They were also bringing bad things, that is diseases. So, it is sadly fair to say that it, it wasn't, you know, yes, putting, um, putting other, what do you call it, uh, enemies to death was one thing, but sadly, many people were victims of uh, diseases as a result of invading one another's uh, territories. But if there's anything good that came out of this one, is that um, there was no execution of Indians. The militia were simply unprepared to fight. There's a good reason for it. It wasn't because they just didn't want to show up. There's no discipline. And if you don't have proper um, discipline, then how do you expect any results? You can have militiamen comprised left and right, but if you don't give them proper structure, if you don't give them any sense of proper order, then how do you expect anybody within the group to be disciplined? It just doesn't work. So Governor Littleton, thank goodness he finally had some common sense here, he decided to sign a treaty with the, with the uh, Cherokee. I think it's fair to say that Gov Governor Littleton's treaty in his eyes it's an, an act of appeasement. In other words, he's trying to please these Indians into making them think, well, maybe we've seen the last of Governor Littleton and maybe he's finally got his census together and not going to engage in any more fighting. Well, it turns out that um, Governor Littleton does sign this treaty, but some of the... Um, men who were a part of that 1300 colonial expedition are going to think differently. So our next bonus question will be the following. Was Francis Marion satisfied 
with the end result being Governor Littleton's treaty negotiation amongst the Cherokee um, Nation. No. And how so? Francis Marion himself witnessed a blunder. And if any of y'all are wondering, what does blunder mean? It's another word for mistake. Or when you hear about blunders, in this case, a series of mistakes, multiple mistakes. So, Francis Marion witnesses a blunder which will get repeated by British military leadership in, the fut- in future campaigns. What is um, this blunder that Marion sees? Demonstration of arrogance. What does arrogance mean? Well, when one is arrogant, all they think about is themselves. They don't think about what's best for the... Um, for the unit as a whole. They're not thinking about those below them. They're not, all they care about is I, me, myself, and as for everyone else, well, it's not, their, it's not my problem if they think differently. So, British officers throughout the French and Indian War, especially in the campaign in uh, Northwest South Carolina, Marion saw how many of the officers high up were had been entitled to um, greater accessibility. In other words, this meant accommodations. In other words, they might have had a fine place to, to lodge, uh, to conduct business affairs, whereas those below, meaning you know, the average everyday militiaman, were given little respect. And... If somebody got out of line, guess what happened to that militiaman? Severe discipline measures arose, such as flogging. And yes, you would think flogging might help restore some order, but the problem is that if you don't have any order to begin with, then how effective would floggings themselves serve as a, to the rest of the unit who did not even engage in any particular act of... Um, of what we might call egregious conduct, or what's called inappropriate conduct. So, Marion comes to realize that, okay, because the officers, the British officers, have better accommodations, and those below are not being properly respected, what do you have, what's the end result? Desertion, not just desertion, but mass desertions, Militiamen are leaving. They're not satisfied. It's almost as if their time is being wasted by those above them. So when 1780 arrived, just to give you all a little hindsight here, when 1780 arrives, being the same year that Marion himself becomes commander of the Williamsburg Township Militia, he's not going to make the same mistakes that British leaders made from the past. In other words, Marion's not going to be arrogant. He's not going to go around with an I, me, myself attitude. He's not going to say, well, I'm going to do the opposite and get away with it, but if those below me do the same thing that I do, that I did before, I'll just flog them like there's no tomorrow and expect them to stay in line. That's not how you win, That's not how you win the respect of those below you. It's just not. So our next bonus question is following. Would further hostilities ensue 
with Cherokee Indian fighters after Governor William Littleton's departure from South Carolina to Jamaica. Yes, Cherokee warriors, or fighters I should say, would attack South Carolina's frontier settlements, which included killing, scalping, to mutilating women, men, women, men and children. Folks, I realize that what I just described a moment ago is very um, unpleasant. But I am going to have to admit to you all that this did go on. This is no joke. This is a reality. These acts of barbarism did go on left and right in South Carolina. As I mentioned earlier, this is what we call eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That nobody wanted to come to the to middle ground and say, "Hey, let's let's work out some stuff so that we could um, prevent further hostilities from happening." But it all goes back to um, in the 17th century when European expeditions to the New World became permanent. That land encroachment became such a problem that over time, what else would you have expected to happen? war, hostilities between Indians and Europeans. It happened at Jamestown. Um, for example, with tobacco. The Indians only grew tobacco when it was absolutely necessary, and for their kind of tobacco, it was a much more... Um, it had a more rustic flavor to it. In other words, it was a non, um, non-sweetening flavor. For, in, for the Indians in... Uh, and what's known as the uh, the Powhatan Confederacy, along the um, along what's known as present day Jamestown, where the English settled in Virginia. Well, the English were struggling to find that true cash crop, and what do you know? They finally found tobacco, and tobacco. Yes, it did a lot of good. It sustained the colony. Tobacco was even used to help pay debts. It was even used as a um, way to uh, pay a minister who performed um, a wedding. But here's the problem with uh, planting tobacco. As I said earlier, the Indians in the Tidewater region of Virginia only grew tobacco when it was necessary and it was used for ceremonial purposes. The uh, the settlers in Virginia were so addicted to it that after three or four um, plantings of tobacco on um, a plot of land, the soil became so depleted and exhausted to where they had to find new tracts of land. New tracts of land, if those new tracts of land are on um, border, um, border, uh, Powhatan Indian lands, or let alone uh, Paspahig or um, any of the other um, Indian tribes of the area, what's, what, what is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to hostilities, war. So the bottom line is, the greater the, the encroachment on Indian lands, the greater the likelihood of conflicts, big and small, that have deadly long-term uh, consequences. So, yes, these killings are barbaric. Scalping, killing, I mean, mutilating women, men, and children. I, I, I can't imagine being alive at that time and having Indians not just destroying your home, 
but murdering your family members right in front of you. But then again, I can't imagine what the Europeans did to them in return. It didn't make it right, but sadly it happened. So, so the bottom line is, though, is that even with the um, Cherokees in doing what they did, we did the same thing in return, and... <laughs> Despite all the efforts to eliminate the Cherokee threat along the Carolina frontier, the British mission still failed. That was to get rid of the Indians from South Carolina once and for all. It still didn't work. Our uh, next, um, next uh, note to point out should be the following. Francis Marion did participate in various frontier skirmishes and battles against the Cherokees. He was commissioned as a lieutenant in the provincial infantry serving under Captain William Moultrie in 1761. And I should point out here that even historians know to this day that there is no physical proof confirming that Marion himself had committed any form of atrocity. And for those of you who are wondering, what does atrocity mean? Well, it's the opposite of, it's nothing good. It's uh, when you commit something that's atrocious, it's bad. So atrocity is like a crime, a bad uh, act. So historians know that there is no solid concrete physical proof confirming that Marion himself had committed any form of atrocity during the Cherokee War, despite his participation by orders from above, okay? As I said earlier, you know, if you're going to serve in the uh, colonial uh, militia, it's a, a mission sponsored by the British. You can't back out. You can't just say, oh, well, I don't want to fight. Well, if you don't want to fight, well, bad things might just happen to you and your family. So the bottom line is right now, Francis Marion is realizing that he is serving king and country in large part because South Carolina is, like the other 12 colonies, are all subjects to the crown. Bonus question here is the following. What advantages did light infantry soldiers have? Okay, light infantry soldiers have some very unique advantages. They can move faster to get from point A to point B in large part because they're not carrying a lot of... Um, heavy equipment on them. So, like I said earlier, they can move faster to get from point A to point B, where it becomes easier to harass the enemy from undisclosed locations, especially within wooded areas. So, in other words, it's easy to assume that, okay, if if the enemy is marching in wooded territory or in uh, forests that that wherever they're marching, they're going to see everything that's in front of them. That's not necessarily true. The enemy can hide behind trees. The enemy can hide a mile away, or let alone maybe fifty or hundred yards away. But the bottom line is, is that the, if the enemy knows the area well enough, it will be very easy to assemble a group of um, raiders who can lead an ambush or who can do something to surprise 
the um, innocent party from being caught off guard. So here's a very important question to um, take into consideration. And this will pertain to what Francis Marion has learned from his time uh, between 1759 and 1761. What is he going to come away with during the Cherokee War, based off of the years just mentioned a second ago? He came away with having profound dislike for the never-ending vengeance cycle where both sides, meaning the Cherokees and the British, had engaged in barbarism that had no limits. Profound means you have a strong, in this case, a strong dislike. Or you, have, or you vehemently dislike it. On the other hand, though, uh, Marion himself did witness firsthand new warfare style techniques being ambushes to hit and run. And we're not talking, you know, when I think of hit and run, and it's in today's modern world, it's a car accident where the car from behind hitting the car in front um, after the collision takes place, they'll back their car up and then leave the scene. That's usually what I think of when it's hit and run. But of course, in today, in 18th century time, hit and run had a far different uh, connotation. But given these new warfare style techniques that Marion himself witnesses, they will serve as a solid asset when fighting against British troops and Tory allies in the not-so-far-distant future, being the American Revolutionary War. So it's better to learn from these experiences now than wait till later on down the road, because if you're not careful and you don't learn the experiences from the present state, there's always a greater likelihood of repeating the same mistake. So for Francis Marion... It's all about learning what took place in the moment, in that exact moment, so that when something else arises in the future, he will be better prepared to fight the enemy. After the Cherokee War ended in late 1761, Francis Marion returned to farming along the western banks of the Santee. And it's interesting to note that he... Um, would acquire a lot of land, especially between 1767 and 1768. 1767, he acquires 350 acres of land in Berkeley County, which is just on the outskirts of uh, Charleston. And in 1768, he acquires 450 acres in the Santee River Swamp. Well, I would say for all this land he has acquired, he is obviously doing very well for himself. I should point this one out because it is something that can't be ignored, but I will share it with you all. It's nothing bad, but it's just important to um, know about. Bonus question. Was Francis Marion a slave owner? Yes. He owned 20 slaves. But, as John Aller has pointed out, his relations with them were stable. In other words, Marion um, was probably one of the very few slaveholders during his time in South Carolina, or just in general, 
to not fear of a slave uprising like other South Carolina masters had done so. Well, it's good to know that Marion's uh, relations with his slaves were stable. Yes, as some people will say, be careful how close you might get to someone or to other people. It's good to know that Marion did treat his slaves with proper respect. I don't know how much has been recorded from a historical context, but he did own slaves, and it's good to know that his relations with them were stable. Another bonus question would be the following. What's significant about April 19, 1775? Well, what, what would be so important about April 19, 1775 if, say, for example, the incident didn't even happen in South Carolina? But it will affect South Carolina just like it would will the other uh, colonies as a whole, or let alone it will impact colonial America as we know it. I know what happened on April 19, 1775. I've read enough books and watched enough documentaries, historical documentaries on TV to know. But for those of you out there who aren't familiar with what happened on April 19, 1775, I will be more than happy to give you that answer. British redcoats fired upon Patriot militia at the Lexington Commons in Lexington, Massachusetts. We might be getting on to something here, folks. However, later that day, the Massachusetts Minutemen forces returned the favor by inflicting major damage on the British at Concord's North Bridge. Okay. Here we go, folks. The shot, the shot heard round the world. That's how... Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the famous American poet, described the events of April 19, 1775. The shot heard round the world. In other words, the Americans banded together on an open field in Lexington, Massachusetts, as well as those who assembled at Concord. They stood up to the mightiest military empire in the world and made them be known, or let them be known, that they were not going to back down without a fight. They were here to send a message that, hey, if we want, we want our independence, we know it's not going to be handed to us, but if we want it, we're not afraid to fight you all. So there you have it, folks. April 19, 1775, the, shot heard, the shots heard round the world, at Lexington and Concord. So, our next bonus question is the following. As many in colonial America were considering separation from England come 1775, when the first shots were fired around the world, what was Francis Marion's stance toward the British? Here are a couple of answers. I think they're good, and I can respect why, but I can tell you for starters, he's not a loyalist. But he also has not forgotten his, his roots. In other words, he hasn't forgotten the sacrifices that his ancestors were able to make when coming to the New World. 
So for starters, he didn't hate the English altogether, considering his ancestors had been, giving, had been given asylum by them. In other words, his ancestors, being of French Huguenot descent, were forced to leave France, all in the name of um, being Protestant, all in the name of not taking up allegiance to the Catholic Church and not taking an oath stating that uh, Catholicism would be the primary religion above all uh, above, above any other religion and had Marian's ancestors not fled France when done so they would have been uh, victims of uh, execution all in the name of religious heresy let alone so Yes, Marion knows that um, England had been um, a savior to his ancestors as they had been given asylum there. But Marion's grandfather was the first to um, settle in the New World, being of that of the Marion family. He received vast tracts of land, at least over 300 at best. So, to sum it up here, Marion wasn't a radical, or let alone an extremist. He wasn't looking to settle old scores for personal gain or revenge. But, what I can tell you all is this, and this next bonus question is the following. What important factor enabled Francis Marion to take up the cause for independence? Well, the answer is the following. It was the presence of extended family alone, given that his older brothers were respected members of their communities, which included serving as church wardens to justices of the peace, as well as being military officers. So, if you've got family who has um, been in the, served in the positions that I just mentioned a moment ago within their community, I think it would be wise to not only follow in their footsteps with taking up um, a prominent role in your community, but also by accepting the fact that, hey, independence from England is something that must be done. And why so? Well, I'm going to get to that here in a moment. But it should be, I should point out that in December of 1774, Francis and his brother Job were elected as delegates to South Carolina's first provincial congress, representing St. John's Parish. It was Isaac, Francis's oldest brother, who was a member, it turns out he was a member of the Committee of Correspondence. These were the committees that um, wrote to one another, not just in various towns in a state, but would eventually write to say Massachusetts would probably be writing to Connecticut or Virginia might be writing to North Carolina, uh, sharing thoughts about why separation from England isn't such a bad idea. But Francis's oldest brother, Isaac, was on the Committee of Correspondence whom helped relay the news of Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts by courier. So I think it'd be it's safe to say it would be very treasonous on Francis Marion's part to um, rebel against his own family. I, I think it would be, but as we all know, history has proven that, th that just because you were 
a patriot, it didn't mean everybody else in your family was one. History has shown that there were many families in the American Revolution where families were split along Tory and Whig lines to where family members were disowned based off of their own allegiance. So the Marion family wasn't interested in severing economic ties with England given that they had grown um, rice and indigo and other crops that were what we would call the lucrative cash crops of their time. But if there was one thing that uh, the Marion family, like many other South Carolina families at this time, along the Santee River region, do not want to give up, they don't want to give up their self-rule. In other words, if you, if you already have it well made, why would you want to be subjected to a king? Why would you want to be subjected to someone whose rule is going to be so bad that you're not going to be allowed to have a voice in anything. So in other words, the, the Marians are going to remain leery of unchecked monarchy. In other words, a monarchy, a monarchy, in this case a tyrant being King George III, who is going to allow Parliament to, say, impose uh, legislation without the colonists' proper consent. How about uh, the Stamp Act of 1765? Taxation without representation? Um, you know, in other words, uh, passing legislation that requires uh, taxes to be placed on all forms of paper, uh, tea, lead, paint, glass, as what would happen with the Townshend Acts of 1767. But here's the problem. All that's being done in Parliament, but yet Parliament didn't ask for the colonists' consent over it. So when you don't ask for someone else's consent and you pass legislation behind their back, how do you expect that to go, to go over well? It doesn't. So this is where the Marion family, along with other families in the, in the Santee River region, most notably the Lawrence, the Ories, they're going to stand up and stand up like the Marians and say, hey, our self-rule is being violated and we don't want to take it. We don't want to take this no more. So we've covered a lot of ground tonight and we are already seeing a very, very, um, we're seeing a, um, a changed man in how Francis Marion sees uh, the British from his time fighting the Cherokees as a group who has become arrogant and doesn't have respect for those below serving in the army. But we're going to also see how Marion himself will not make those mistakes. And so far he's been smart enough to know what course to plot, given that he has already agreed that, ind that independence should be heavily considered. So when we're back on the air again next, we will be discussing how South Carolina proclaims um, its quest for uh, declaring independence from England. 
Well, thank you for letting me be on the air. I have enjoyed my time. Uh, but then again, when have I not enjoyed uh, my time um, discussing with you all uh, topics of uh, historical significance? You know, it's hard to believe at one time, years back, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But as they say, sometimes there's a reason why some things don't work out. Well, as I told my wife earlier on our walk late this afternoon outside, I said to her, Amanda, yes, I thought I was going to be a teacher some years back. And even though it didn't work out, somehow what I'm doing now, it's made up for it. So thank you all, or I should say my History 101 podcast lit- listeners, for letting me be your all's uh, teacher. And I will continue uh, to fulfill that role and uh, not only in the present, but for the, pu- but for the future. And for all of you out there who are listening, if you know of others who would like to listen to my sessions, have them come on to Anchor. I'm, their, their time will not be um, wasted one bit. Take care, uh, stay safe, and have a good Friday. Take care.